Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 73. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have the IBJJF Hall of Fame and co-founder of Brazil 021 School of Jiu-Jitsu, Anachi Stack. She talked about how jiu-jitsu teaches you how to become more resilient in life. We talked about the growth and the fixed mindset. And my takeaway from the interview came when I asked her how was her mindset when she came to pursue her dream in the United States. And her answer inspired me to title this episode, Hungry for Success. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the topic, Hungry for Success. I attempted something different in the end and I hope you enjoy it. I would love to hear your feedback about it though. You can send me a message on Instagram at Gustavo Dantas BJJ or info at thebjjmentalcoach.com. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Us. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Anetti Stack. Anetti is the co-founder of Brazil 021 School of Jiu-Jitsu, along with her instructor, Andre Terencio, who also appeared in episode 63 of the podcast titled Focusing on the Process. Including Gi and Ogi, Anetti is an eight-time IBJJF world champion. In addition, she has won three gold medals at the ADCC World Championship. In 2012, she was inducted into the IBJJF Hall of Fame. Anachi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Gustavo, for the opportunity to be here. I'm very happy. I appreciate it. You know, I remember when we're talking once and you mentioned that you, the first tournament that you competed was was something that a uh, small tournament that I promoted in Brazil. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So That's so that funny. That is yeah. a trip. What uh, what is 1998? 1998? 1998, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a trip. <laughs> wow. Um, small world. Small world, man. So tell us how jiu-jitsu show up in your life. So um, I was always like a very uh, passionate about sports. Uh, since I was a kid, I always uh, liked sports. And I went to, into rock climbing. And a, a good friend of mine, he saw me uh, because there was like a place where we used to go uh, near uh, our home. And this, uh, this guy used to see me climb. He's like, oh, you have like a great grips. And you know about this jujitsu, it's all about grips. And I think you should try because you'd be great. And I went to a first class um, and I saw like a, this little guy just going and doing like a very good, I don't know, I didn't know anything at the time, 
but I saw him like uh, going to like the guy's back and like uh, just going to like a choke or something like this. I didn't know at the time what it was, but then just, um, you know, made me um, really like uh, interested because how like a smaller person just being able to go I defeated a bigger person. So for me, it was like, oh, yeah, if this guy is like a smaller guy, can do it. Like, you know, I might have a chance too. And it was like a love at first sight. I think like Jiu-Jitsu was like a very, because it's a very interesting sport. You always have to think about the next move. You always like, it's a very smart way of exercising. So it's like playing with your body and like thinking about the next move. And sometimes it's very interesting. So I just like, I was like, I love it first sight. So that's, uh, that's pretty much how I got into the, to the sport. And how long did it take until you got interested in competition? Um, just like a few months. Uh, yeah. I loved competing since the beginning. I was like, Oh man, I, I you know, I love competing the, the, the thrill of the fight and just like uh, getting ready. Uh, all the, you know, the motivation was like awesome. So, uh, my first competition was actually, I think um, three months after I started, like just like, yeah, I was brand new. Cool. So <laughs> how do you feel jiu-jitsu relate to life? For me, jiu-jitsu relates to everything in life. And I, um, I really try to explain because when you talk about jiu-jitsu, other people that never done jiu-jitsu before, they, they might think like, oh, I cannot, I, they cannot relate because it's something so close and so personal so the way i see like you you have to trust so much the other person because you're so close to the other person the person you it's like a, an exchange but it's like a it's almost like a spiritual so i feel like uh everything in life and i i'm very like a sensitive person i can uh sometimes i look at someone i, I you know i get close to someone and i can really feel like I'm, i like this person energy and jiu-jitsu is like all about you know energy you're exchanging the whole time uh, but also like not only like in the in, uh, in this like kind of ex exchange, but also um, gives you like a, this this um, you you never give up. Like it's this sense of like you 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 you're not going to give up so easy because you have like a so many right? exactly resilience. That's the words. That's the word. Uh, because you have so many adversities in jiu-jitsu, like doing the, the one, like a one sparring, you can be with someone with a tight choke and then you like, you have two options. Do you give up or you continue to try to escape? And I think like in life, you, we, we see this all the time in our, uh, you know, real life job. You have like your boss that's always like give, giving you a hard time and you have two options. You give up, like, oh, man, this works not for me, but might be, like, a very good opportunity for you for life. You just have to go through this, like, a hard phase. But sometimes, like, if you don't have this resilience, you, you're just going to, like, ah, you know, this is not for me. I'm going to pass. You know, I'm going to... Uh, but... And sometimes it's good to let go, but I think Jiu-Jitsu keeps you, like, this resilience, like, not giving up so easy. Yeah, and the thing too is that uh, it's okay, the same way that you can say that it's okay to tap, it's okay to fail something in business or yes. do or maybe get fired or something. However, as long as you learn from that experience, if you got caught in a situation, so hopefully it doesn't mean that you never failed again in business or you never exactly. make a mistake, but at least we minimize, now you're more aware and you minimize the chance of getting caught again or getting caught in the same situation in, in personal, professional life. So yes, and one thing that I 
always mention here too is about that this emotional resilience level that we're consistently building. You know, maybe we're never going to be on a level 100 master, but we're always working on keep raising that bar of becoming more emotional resilient to deal with yes. not just the jujitsu business, but like life in general, a lot of undesired outcomes that happen to our lives when you least expect. And if your emotional resilience, it's low, you're going to struggle. We're going to struggle yeah. like, with just with the everyday, just getting out of bed, you know? So emotional resilience is definitely a word that should not be underestimated by anyone. Yes. Another thing too, like you brought something interesting to the subject because that's one thing uh, in the beginning, uh, you feel like a lot of people, like, let's say I'm putting like a, a white belt level jujitsu. And when they come to class, especially the guys, because they're uh, used to like, they rely a lot on strength. They want you like um, in the beginning. And I, I remember having this mentality as well, this mentality as well. Like uh, I want to do fast. I want to do everything. Like, you know, I want to be strong and not you no know, tap today. But um, it's important. I tell like them um, every time you tap, if you today you tap 10 times, if you're in a position, you know, like a, a position that's very dangerous, you, you're going to tap and then you learn. Next time you're going to tap nine, nine times. Today you tap 10, tomorrow you mm -hmm. tap nine. And that's how it goes. Uh, gives you like a, this, uh, it makes you humble. And exactly like you, you're going to face like a, this. It's not that you're not going to fail another time, but keeps you like, okay, I'm going to like uh, learn how to make it better next time. You know, next time it will be like a harder, right? So it's a very interesting uh, aspect of the sport. I was talking with, um, I, I mean, I have this conversation very often at the school with one of the white belts. And, and of course, the frustration at the beginning, oh, man, I cannot sweep or submit everyone. Everyone's passing my guard and said, like, man, let me tell you something. I, in the beginning, when I started, I wasn't, I wasn't in a very good school. And eventually, I, I got out and started training with Fernando, which you train with him, too. Mm -hmm. so, when I, so when I got there, uh, I was wearing a blue belt, but I was awful. And and I even asked him, should I remove, should I go back to white belt? Like, I'm totally fine to do it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, no, you, you, you'll be fine. You'll pick it up. Just, you know, give like, you know, uh, six months, you, you'll be, you'll be able. So I'm like, I, I didn't agree with this call. I was like, man, I really mm -hmm. want to go back to white belt. But anyway, because <laughs> at the beginning, yeah, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't really, you know, sweep or submit or do nothing to people. But eventually start getting to a point that I started improving my guard retention. So it was, so what I tell my students is focus on first people not passing. Because at first they're like, okay, I'm not sweeping or submitting, but now at least people are not passing. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's improvement. And said, so and after you start being good at this, and then you're going to start seeing more have a better positional awareness to see like, oh, okay, a sweep here. Oh, yeah, that opening. But it's just respecting that process of understanding that first you need to be able to maintain your position. And then from there, you know, it takes time. Of course, not what the white belt wants to hear. He wants yeah, to know. Exactly. Yeah, he wants right to get to go progress fast. Yeah. And I tell him like right now, and even for all the listeners who are listening right now, maybe you're starting your jiu-jitsu journey right now. I have a lot of my students who listen to and they're starting. Um, we as teachers, we giving the, the pieces of the puzzle. And then right now they're like, what do I do with all these pieces? They don't know how to put it together yes. yet. And that's I and actually that's talked fine. about this yesterday uh, in class. Like, and now you're getting the pieces, but you put all the pieces mm -hmm. together. It's like, it takes you know, it's time. Another, exactly. You know, and more. And 
I always say in life, and that's the same in jiu-jitsu, uh, jiu-jitsu, it's an endless puzzle that you never see the whole picture, everything. There's no way. The same thing in life, but more knowledge you get, more experience, more pieces you put together, more clarity you have to be able to see more of this picture, but you're never going to see the whole picture. I know every move in every situation. There's no such a thing. Yes. But more experience you get, you know, more so adding more more knowledge to uh, to your playbook, as I like to say. Is like another thing to you, uh, Gustavo, about this uh, subject. Another thing that uh, we don't think too much about this, but time of reaction in jiu-jitsu. One thing I tell the students uh, as well, like here at the school, and this is funny how I, I relate to life as well, because sometimes we get so caught in the, the problem, on the, you know, like at the negative side of the problem. So you have a problem in life and you'd be like, oh man, I have this problem. But you spend little time trying to solve. In jiu-jitsu, that's what I tell the student because sometimes they get frustrated, like, oh, this guy passed my guy, and they're like, oh man, passed my guy, ah. right? But and they like they will express this frustration. They you know they will um, speak up this frustration, like ah, like you know with like a, some kind of uh, you know gesture or something like this. And then I say like the time you leave this uh, let the frustration out. So this like those are the three seconds you had for your reaction. The person's passing your guard, you get frustrated. You're like oh shit, this person passed my guard. Sorry about that word, but like passed my guard. That time is the three seconds you had for your reaction and you just lost because you, you were frustrated, you know, because something bad happened, right? And in life, it's the same thing. Like, sometimes we get caught in, like, it, I'm not understanding everybody, like, um, each one, uh, you know, individually knows what they are going through. But that's the thing. Sometimes we get caught on the, oh, man, this happened. Like, why this is happening? But we, you know, we don't, we don't think about the, the time of reaction. I will not let this negativity come in. You know, I would just, okay, what can I do to fix this situation? What can I do to not let this person pass my guard? You know, I have to focus on like trying to get on the knees or, you know, doing whatever I can to just, you know, prevent the person from like going to the next move. So that's another thing that Jiu-Jitsu, as I'm like a little suspicious to talk about mm -hmm. like uh, how much like it helped uh, me in my life. But I think like it's uh, another great point for for life too and what he's saying is basically having that especially let's say away from jiu-jitsu just regular stuff that happened he's just having that ability to filter the thought you know when they come mm -hmm. in and then of course it takes i mean more experience to get in life let's say to be able to just absorb whatever the thought is coming and then you filter that thought so you have to be pretty present and self-aware of like and recognize that, okay, I see a wave of negativity coming. Yes. Catch yourself and then uh, reframe this thought. But when you're not present, when you're we're not self-aware, that's when you start creating stories in our mind. Like, oh, this guy passed exactly. my guard. I suck. Why am I even yeah, doing this? Exactly. And, just get and we're a, the worst yeah, like, with, with ourselves. Like, we're the most, like, the biggest judges of ourselves. Yes. Right? So, it is um, something. So, when did you have the spark to pursue jiu-jitsu? What moment you said, you know what, I think I want to do this for a living? 
Mm -hmm. That's funny you asked, uh, Gustavo, because I actually never had the thought of like, I'm going to like uh, make a living with jujitsu, you know. Just very organic. That just exactly. Happened. It was just like, a, you know, something like inside. And look, when I tell this, like a, you have like a, some instinct, like something inside that tells you, uh, you know, you should continue doing this. You don't know why but you feel like something's right, you know, like, so, and sometimes we underestimate the, those thoughts with, ah, you know, like, I'm, now I'm going to like, uh, just quit and do something else or some other thoughts we have. But in my mind, I'm like, ah, I don't know why, but I have to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. So in my life, I, uh, in the beginning of my career, my journey in jujitsu, I had to um, uh, stop for a little bit for uh, personal reasons. Uh, but then when I came back to Jiu-Jitsu, I said, like, no one and nothing will ever stop me from doing what I like to do, you know, and that's like a, when I decided, like, Jiu-Jitsu was a, a part of my life, and I didn't want to give up that part, you know, because of someone or something. Uh, I didn't know if I would work with Jiu-Jitsu or why I was doing, but I just liked the sport and like a something inside told me like to keep doing. I think that's the, was the biggest reason why I continue, you know, but when you're in Brazil, did you get to teach there or were you still focus on your career as a competitor? Yeah. So I taught a little bit in Brazil too. Um, so the beginning of my career, I had to split time working, uh, studying, doing jiu-jitsu. was like a very hectic, but you know how Brazil is. So you have to also there, you know, like to make a living. So uh, I had a regular job and I had to, I made the decision of, I actually had at the time a uh, promotion. So my, uh, my boss at the time, my supervisor, she was like going to another country and she asked me to be in her place to replace her. She said like, you're the person who I, I want in my place. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know about this. I just like uh, want to do like a, you know, jujitsu and was like at the time of the first ADCC, the first, uh, the first ADCC they opened for women mm. because before they only had the men's division, uh, men's division. So was the first one and was only by invitation and I really like uh, wanted the opportunity so I said like I want to do like this I need to travel to do this tournament and at the time they were a little bit supportive but of course they will think they will think about their uh, their company and they were right uh, but then I had to make this that was the time I had to make the decision of okay so I'm going to go this route or I, I want to dedicate more time to jiu-jitsu and I declined the offer of my supervisor I said like you know thank you so much for thinking of me and thinking I'm capable of taking your place but that's what I want to do I want to be the best in the sport and I think like I had I have to dedicate more time to jiu-jitsu in order to be the best, so I uh, I have to decline, and I'm that's that's the time I quit my job. Like right after, like I, uh, I did the ADCC, lost on my first match, uh, but it was a great experience because I that was the time I felt uh, okay. I want to continue on the sport. I want to go further. I want to be better, uh, and I had to make this decision, this life decision of okay, I'm going to pursue jujitsu for life, um, and that's what the time I start teaching. Like right after I quit my job, uh, I, I decided I started like a teaching a couple of classes. I had one um, kids class over there. Mm -hmm. All the kids are so big now. Oh my goodness, time flies. But mm -hmm. yes, I had like a, some experience teaching uh, in Brazil. I also helped with the uh, Andre in the kids classes uh, a lot. Uh, at the time, I um, I was like a not. I still working. I had time. I would help him with the kids class as well. So, and how was the mindset? 
moving to the United States, starting the new chapter in your life to really go all in in jiu-jitsu and this new phase. I've been through that before. Uh, for anyone who's listening, that it's tough as it is sometimes to just move state. You know, you're, you grew up in a city and you're there, have your friends and family and everything. Um, and then you decide to make that change. That's tough. And a different country, that's a different ball game. It's, it's a lot more intense, let's say. So how was the mindset coming in to start the new chapter? Yes, that's a good question, Gustavo. When I, uh, in 2007, so 2005 <clears throat> uh, was the first ADCC and I lost in the first match. So 2000, and I had like a lot of problems between uh, just getting the visa. My visa was denied. I get like, I got the visa the last, the first, the very, the very day I, I traveled to United States. So it was everything a little bit hectic, but it was a great experience because then it made me like, okay, so folks for the next one next two years will be totally different and uh when we um came back in 2005 um we decided that's like what we want to do so that's the the kind of living we want we want to leave doing jiu-jitsu uh, uh we have the opportunity here in the united states uh we saw like an opportunity and here is different like i feel like you can have your own business you will have the respect people will respect your 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 uh and you grow if you if you like to work if you work correct you're going to grow eventually right so that's like a, the mentality here but in 2005 when we came back we had this mentality of okay that's what we want to do we want to go there next time and maybe like a like a starting this idea of okay we're going to move there for good 2007 Uh, I did like the trials for the ACC, everything was good. So from the beginning, um, and we we already thinking about when we come here to stay for good and apply everything. Uh, and the the motto of the tournament for that year for me of the ADCC was, I would say in Portuguese, Gloria ou Martírio, like a, the glor uh, glory or, um, uh, let me see, like the translation. In a way, no. Yeah, right. So it's like, uh, you know, it's like um, live or die, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, there was no other option for me. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was here, you know, like uh, for me was, this is my food, you know, my food is there and I need that to like uh, to live. So it was like uh, that mindset that drove me like uh, to be really hungry for the, not only, I would not say only for the title, just because uh, in 2005, the experience was kind of like a, not so good for me because uh, of course I lost in the first match, but I trained so hard for the tournament, but I also asked an opportunity to compete at the open class. And the guy, like he really like a completely like ignored me. He's like, ah, no, no, not this time, maybe next time. So for me it was like, I trained so hard. I went there, you know, like I remember my last circuit training was like a hundred minutes for this competition and wow. just going there to another country losing the first match i had just like a she's like a great person and um i you know i have nothing to say about her but i had to like a, like sleep in the same room as my opponent <laughs> oh my goodness it was like a hectic right so mm -hmm. i i in 2007 i said like i want this to be different that's like you know i this is mine no one would take this from my hands so that mentality uh helped the process of staying here because in 2007 when we came to the ADCC and we decided to stay uh, for good is like we cannot fail 
if we fail, we will have to go back and there's no way I'm going back. You know, so it was like, um, kind of like a, everything at the same time, like a, the, 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 the mindset for the tournament and the mindset for the, this move, like a coming from Brazil to stay here in the United States. I spoke a little bit of English, but Andre had no English. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like zero English. And, but we had the work and we had the, we were hungry to work. And the way I, I was sure the way we worked in Brazil, that there was no way we're going to fail if we bring the same kind of work to the United States. Because when you're committed here in this country, you're valued, like people value uh, your work. So I think like uh, the mindset of the tournament, like uh, this, you know, is do or die. I have to do this. That's like uh, my, my, my plate of food there uh, helped like in this process of staying here because you have ups and downs and like in the beginning we had no job we had like a we didn't have a school we had to build our uh trust with other people and in the beginning people think like oh these guys came from brazil they're going to take our place like you know they want to take what is ours here right so it's kind of like until you build that trust and you uh start building something uh it's a process and you have to be patient but you also have to be resilience resilient you have to like uh, be strong for that process yeah i love it the the hungry mindset because uh, i learned something a long time ago uh, acronym that say that especially here in the us as you mentioned there's so many opportunities here you know people have no idea how incredible they have exactly. here then, until yeah. you go to other places not just go other places but like have an experience to live in different places and see like, oh, yes. wow, that's a lot more complicated and other, you know, so I feel that sometimes people uh, take for granted what they have in the United States. Yes. But if you come here to the U.S. with an attitude of a Ph.D., a Ph.D. stands for poor, hungry and driven attitude. You pour in money, you pour in knowledge, you try, you're hungry to learn, you're yes. hungry to get paid, you're driven. So mm-hmm. I always, uh, I learn, you know, people telling me, you want to hire people with a PhD. I was like, really? PhD? You're like, yeah, poor, hungry, and driven. You know, <laughs> that's that are, awesome. People that are willing to, you know, go get, go get what they want. They're hungry for, you know, for knowledge, for their goals. And not everyone are in that, uh, or sometimes not everyone it's wired this way, but I tell you what necessity is a hell of a motivation yes exactly <laughs> gustavo exactly it is you know when it you know is. this like either do that or i don't literally eat so exactly <laughs> it's like a, it's like i do that or i don't have anything any anywhere to stay anything to eat it's like i have to i must so what did you say during this journey with the school and the association uh, talking more about your entrepreneurial career, what do you feel that uh, some of the biggest struggle, maybe one struggle that you had in this journey and what did you learn from it? Something, it could be something very simple that you may say like, oh, that's so simple. But I mean, we all, it's not like, at least I didn't go to school for that. You know, you mm-hmm. didn't. You just learned yeah. making, you know, just trial and error, making the mistake like, oh, that was a bad choice. And then we learn from it and you fix. So, what is a struggle that you feel, you feel that you had? I think it's uh, dealing with people. And because the jiu-jitsu is still like a um, uh, sport that's mainly dominant by men, 
right? Male dominance. Mm. Uh, I think like a heavy, and because I started like the way I started, I started back in the days and there was not many women um, in the scene. Like women were not the same as they are now in the jiu-jitsu scene, right? Um, but just having people to understand that separating the jiu-jitsu part, hierarchy, and like whatever, like the business part, because you can be very good in jiu-jitsu, but if you don't have the business mentality, like the business mindset, then, you know, it's two different things. You can be a very good teacher, but that's that's it. That's about it. If you don't have like the business mindset, you have to work for someone else. And I think uh, with our experience here, when we have to talk with people, other people. I, I would say mostly uh, people in Brazil, because like you said, you have to experience other cultures. When you come here, uh, it's not like, a, I'm not saying it's better or worse than there. It's like a just different, different culture. The way the things work is a little different. Uh, but just like a dealing with people and making people understand that we have the experience. It's not, it's not the Hanet stack from Jiu-Jitsu that's speaking here. It's Hanet stack that build you know, like a, a brand, a school, have a, a successful school here in the United States and trying to bring the experience to other people. So I think that's like a, the, the biggest challenge, just like a getting people. I think like, a, I would say like a eagles. I say like, I always like a, uh, make this comparison. Being a woman in jiu-jitsu made me see uh, sometimes it's easier for women to learn jiu-jitsu because we don't have that much ego. That's the guys. And we cannot rely too much on strength, right? So we have to develop other things. We have to develop our technique better. We have to refine our technique to be really like a, to survive against like a guy who's just trying to like a right, pushing around. Uh, but it's the same, it's the same with our, our culture, like uh, uh, until like you can prove um, that you're there, you have the experience. It's not the person in jiu-jitsu, like, oh, you can beat me up in jiu-jitsu on the mats. That's great. But I have the experience here outside of the mats that can help your business. So I think like just bringing like a, this ego thing to a check. Mm -hmm. And what did you say is a one high performance habit that you have? Something that you practice daily that helps you in your life and jiu-jitsu and everything, something that you practice daily? Well, one is like, um, I think, um, I know like uh, people like, uh, they kind of like uh, try to avoid the subject, but I think like uh, keeping your spirituality in check, you know, like uh, you always have to be, because we, we have so many things work, a lot of things that keep, keep us like busy and not like uh, focusing on like uh, the other parts of like uh, the other aspects of life. And it's very easy to get caught on like uh, the life things, like the problems. But mm -hmm. I think like every morning, if you like, um, uh, and I, I started doing this before I competed the Worlds again this year. Uh, I took a break from like a social media because you sometimes you get very caught. For me, I like social media sometimes gives me like the anxiety. I need to see what the other person is doing. I get like a really anxious. So I try to, uh, I try to like not look into social media uh, for a period of time just to keep my uh, my peace of mind. Uh, just like, but just like every morning, trying to get to a place. Like I live in a city, so it's very hard for me. When I was in Brazil, I could just take some time, let's say during the day, could go to the beach or could go to the forest, Jujuca Forest. It was my, my, my favorite place to go. Just get like a couple minutes, like a meditating there, just like, a, you know, 
getting back to myself. I'm a very, uh, I'm a person that I was always, my whole life, I always had nature around. Like, um, I always, like, my dad used to bring me, like, to Tijuca Forest every weekend. And we would, like, just walk into the forest and talk and play. So for me, I think, like, a, this is a, one of the habits. I cannot, of course, it's, I live in the city, but I have, like, a veranda here. And I just put, like, a something. When it's not cold outside because Chicago, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just, like, uh, uh, try to look at the, sorry try to look at the, um, uh, the sky and just like, you know, do like a couple minutes meditation just to uh, rebalance. I think that's a, a good habit just to get back to myself. Absolutely. And I'm glad that the topic of meditation has been coming up a lot more often. You see in a lot of you know, studies showing how much they help with presence and focus, because as you mentioned, we get so caught up in the rat race, the craziness yes. of everything. You wake up and then you just open your eyes and let me check my phone for a yes. second. Boom, exactly. it's on. It's, it's on, yes. You know, no stop. email and text, like, oh my God, I got to reply to see all oh, this and it's mm-hmm. on. So being able to disconnect, one tip that I have for, for the listeners, I don't know how many people do, but for example, I don't have Facebook or Instagram notification, period. Mm, I don't, have, I don't have either. I took, I took it off too. If I at least that minimize that I go in and if I want to, I'll go in and I look in, you know, I, yes. of course I keep my, my text message. And even the uh, for the Brazilians who maybe listen the WhatsApp, and yes, love the WhatsApp group. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it's like bing, 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 all day long. I'm like Jesus Christ! So most of the yes. groups I have muted. So I, you know, like <laughs> it really contact me if you really know there is something that needs to be said. I don't, I don't want to yes. know all the see the pictures and everything just over and over. So I just mute, and then whenever I want, I'll look into the yes. Group. But yeah, this helps a lot. Uh, being more present and especially another habit that I that I start probably doing that and I don't know maybe four four years ago or something because uh, as as technology has been developing more I mean we need to adapt to like yes you know, true fight uh, this out so I like to do blocks of work which means sometimes it's a 15 minute block and then get a 10 minute break so mm-hmm. 15 minutes my phone is off off there's like, you know, it's completely off. And then 10 minutes break, get up, you know, especially if I'm doing um, work on, on, on the office at home. And then I can just turn it on, check my message, do whatever, uh, stretch or go out or get some water, do something. But those blocks, it helps a lot with the productivity because mm-hmm. sometimes you focus on something bing, and you're like, oh, oh you look at yes. it. Like, oh man, I, I actually need to kind of answer this right now. So it's better like, I always um, mention, I mean, for the most part, for the most part, it's not something that, oh, my God, is where is Gustavo? We need him, right? We need to talk with yes. him right at this moment. You know, I don't think it's going to have too many situations that going to be like that. I mean, I don't know. But uh, there's times during the day that I have to do it. Otherwise, it will, uh, especially if I'm creating content, you need something that you need a lot of focus and just a mm-hmm. little thing is just going to take you to a completely different route and yes, tough to come back in and, and now we reply and they, they reply back. And so it's just uh, definitely. Also, like a, you cannot filter what you see sometimes because exactly. if you just like a, yeah, scroll down, it's like it just, you know, 
non-stop information sometimes information that you you don't want to yeah we yeah have, basically we have everything in our pocket which is tv radio computer social media i mean everything's on phone yes know? so it's so easily distracted it's just too much in our pocket it's just true yeah uh, so so easy so uh usually uh um my wife doesn't like much that uh that i don't like to answer my phone much i don't use <laughs> my phone as much and, and because of that it's just it's just too much um so what would you say is the best advice that you've ever received um i think like the best advice i got was um uh, uh, so i had like a, this uh, professor from high school like so he was my professor from like a high school all the way up to college and then when i graduate when i um finished high school and i went to college he was also my professor in college as uh-huh. well so it's funny and though uh, at the time i remember was kind of like a debating whether uh, i should move to us uh, i remember it was 2006 at the time and i'm like uh, should i go back to us and he's like hanet what do you what are you even doing here <laughs> it's like just go so i was like you know i think that was like a the best one i can think of is like okay yeah and uh, of course it was life changing right it's like what are you even doing here anymore like just go yeah it's funny that you know especially 2006 um have you know it's getting little by getting closer uh i mean more opportunities start to uh, pop up especially in jiu jitsu I remember that when I when I talk about coming here was 19 the end of 98 and then beginning of 99 January I was already moving and that was the opposite wow. a lot of people were just telling me like dude what are you doing why are you <laughs> going there you know that was like the opposite yes. for for the most part I have very few people in my life that said that that's a great move but again <laughs> that was a you know 20 years ago different yeah. by 2006 you know even you know problems in brazil starting to get a little like more you know economy yeah. starting to get a little more hit and people like yeah it's not a bad idea you know what i mean to go <laughs> so it's very interesting yeah how like a, and now everybody's like oh, man i need to Absolutely. get out of here <laughs> yep <laughs> hopefully we'll get a little better so so what advice would you give to the younger anachi when you move to the u.s not that you want anything different in your life but anything if you could have a conversation and say like hey just watch this here and that what would you say uh i would say to take more risks in terms of um my career like one thing i like kind of it's not like that i regret but i i always wanted to do uh you know like i I wanted to like to do mma one at least like to be able to fight one time but because I think like a life takes you in the route and the, the way it should go, right? But I would say like um, to a version, a younger version of myself, just do it once. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a take the time, prepare and do it once. Like mm-hmm. it's something that I today I'm like, yeah. Because I always like uh, fighting, competing, uh, jiu-jitsu, like, a, you know, all arts of um, martial arts. But I, that's something I... Uh, I think uh, was not checked on my bucket mm-hmm. list. <laughs> but as far as the risks, do you think there are other things as far as like even related to entrepreneur that would be taking more risks on that as well or not necessarily? Yes, I think um, just finding people 
because sometimes people they they can say like I want to do this, but when they see all the work, I think like just uh, being more patient in preparing this the the people and preparing in a way that uh, you're not going to prepare only one person. You're going to prepare like a multiple people, and then okay, maybe from like a, this a hundred. I heard this from uh, actually Carlinhos Gracie Jr. when we were having a conversation, and he said this uh, something very interesting. It's like Hanet from a thousand people you you prepare from like let's say a thousand black belts you you make like a thousand black belts you might uh be able to get maybe a hundred from a hundred you get one so it's like a, you know like a, the comparison is like very true because you 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 bring a lot of people you build a lot of people but to really find people committed and like a, it's very hard to like trust and find the the person who you can Give the yeah, dream. Like, I don't know if like um, that makes more sense. Yes, and people, people say to call like the rock star employees. You know the different ones. You know that I feel that because it's also the values need to be aligned. You know, so exactly we're all in the same lineup. Okay, everyone understands the mission here. Is everyone you know on that is actually on the bus or have their their values aligned and is everyone sitting on the right position of the bus so yes i totally understand it but it comes with experience because yeah that's definitely um we can even consider a struggle in a way that i feel that every year i'm getting better but there's no there's no way this yes. we're gonna keep like you can get better but every, yeah. every year just more experience I think like uh, for me it's like because I put I put like sometimes I want to help this person before okay I need to help I want to help this person but let me help him let me help me first yep. so I think like if I could could go back that's what I would say like I help you first you know make sure and then you think about helping other people because even though like sometimes they want the, they say they want the help they need the help but that's you know, it's a process and it's a process that it's a learning process for both sides. But and I like to say, too, that there's always there's a reason why when they say that if the plane is going down, make sure to put the mask on you first. Exactly. You put in everyone else because they're like, let me help everyone else. And then yes. and, and then you cannot help anyone. And now you're not helping <laughs> anyone. You know what I mean? So uh, so sometimes. I know that some people have, a, a, I mean, that's a, each one have their own perception of like, or being selfish. It's not about selfish, but in order to help others, man, you got to put the mask on you first. There's no, yeah. there's no other way around. That's um, true. So do you have the habit of reading or podcasts? Or yes, yes. Um, I, um, I am actually reading, reading now the Relentless. So mm. I was like a... It's very um, so very similar in some way to the the last one. I liked a lot, and I got this recommendation because I was like speaking about like how much I like the mindset book. But I was like starting to read this uh, relentless, and one of the big the guys from Chicago actually it's like makes me like want to go talk to him too. But I think like the biggest uh, difference is like he's like doesn't matter what you're going through if you need if you want this you know, go over like uh, everything, like, uh, you know, your injury, everything, just go and the mindset's like kind of like a more a stronger uh, way of like, you know, 
pointing like you can do this like the mindset was kind of like a, you know you have more talking about like you have the power of doing like no one you you don't know what's what you're capable of doing with years of dedication and hard work and for this one's basically pretty much like it doesn't matter you're going to do this regardless like you know mm -hmm. just run through everything so what would you say is maybe a book that stands out for you that at some point in your life made an impact on you that you could share anything that comes out in your mind that stands out i i would say like the the the, the biggest one uh was like a, this one mindset because it was kind of like in this uh, stage of my life i i wanted to go back and do like a competition but it was very unsure the because book mindset the carol yes. dweck one yes exactly mm -hmm. exactly yeah. this one so when i started reading i was thinking about i was like a planning to do like a, some competitions but you know like life now i i rather dedicate the time for the students because it's not that I, oh, I, I don't like to say like I accomplished everything that I, you know, I want to accomplish jujitsu. I don't have anything to prove. That's like a not, not my, what I want to say. Like I, I never want to say this because I never feel like, uh, you know, it's not like a not satisfied because like we're not like a searching for something all the time, but I know how much I uh, accomplish jujitsu. I'm, I'm aware of my accomplishments in jujitsu. Uh, but I wanted to go back and do like a competition again, because when I started Jiu-Jitsu, what drove me like to Jiu-Jitsu is like this, the competition mindset, like being there, competing. And uh, once you're getting like older and like your life changed a little bit, I was trying to find this balance in my life where the competition will fit in. I almost like I felt a little bit like um, out of purpose in Jiu-Jitsu and it was like a very... Um, for me, it was like a very hard time to go through because it's like as a competitor going through a phase where like, you know, trying to find your purpose again in the sport, um, what I'm doing here, you know, like I, I do I have to go to the competition class if I'm not competing, mm -hmm. you know, I'll go there, train hard with everybody and then I'll be like a frustrated because why I'm doing this if I'm not competing. So I just totally understand. <laughs> just trying to find this uh, balance and saying like, okay, where is my place in Jiu-Jitsu again? Like uh, now. Because when I started, my place was this, you know, I was a competitor. I, you know, I wanted to really focus on the competition. But who is Hanet now? You know, who is this person now? And trying to find myself. So when I started reading the book, the book made me feel like, a, you know, like myself again. Because, like, that's a, the, the thing she said on the book. You, you cannot, uh, you cannot... Uh, envision you you don't know uh, what someone could achieve with years of dedication and hard work and for me that was the key for my preparation for my comeback because in my mind I know like uh, you train hard with everybody you go to the gym you train and you like uh, you know kind of like I have visitors people come to train with you and you're like oh man I'm not so bad you know like uh, I'm still in the game mm -hmm. so I was like a kind of like getting this uh, motivation again, but after uh, reading this book, uh, just made me like realize that, you know, the only thing that could prevent me from going further was my mind, because I was like a, the biggest uh, judger, like I know the, the biggest judge of myself. I'm like, no, you're too old to do this. No, you're not. Like you know, you have too much on your plate. You can't do this. So I was like um, playing my playing tricks on myself, you know, like a, sabotaging myself, like. Once I started reading the book, I uh, it changed this way of like a thinking, and I think it was like a, the 
kind of like at the tipping point to know my place in the in jiu-jitsu knowing that okay i still can do it if i want to do the, the the competition like the proof was going to the the world championship you know and competing with a higher level like someone who is like a nowadays like a, just like on the top of the sport and like doing a great match not with the result i expect but it proved that i you know i'm not completely uh, lost right mm -hmm. so uh so i really like recommend if you need like a boost like a boost like on your confidence because sometimes we just playing these tricks on ourselves and thinking we're not capable of, of accomplishing uh, something or because you're because of this like a stereotypes that people make oh you're too old oh like you know like uh, you're not good for this women are not good in math like uh, stuff like this that really like uh, you know doesn't make any sense or oh you to be like uh, one thing i heard like in the beginning of my career in jiu-jitsu i will never forget this guy I was so excited sharing, like, oh, I just started doing jiu-jitsu. Man, I love this. And it was, like, one of my friends from uh, college. It's like, I love doing this. And, like, I, you know, I really, like, I want to do this. I, I, I really want to compete. And he's like, Hanet, to do jiu-jitsu, to be good, you have to start from, like, when you're young, when you're, like, you know, like, four or five years old. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm going to be good at this. You see? <laughs> and it's like, no, Hanet, you have to start young. And I'm like, now I'm going to prove you wrong and I prove he's wrong. Right. <laughs> so, but like those stereotypes people make and they kind of like, you know, try to enforce in your life and you sometimes get caught for so many years. Oh, I cannot, uh, I would never be good as good as this guy because you know, I'm a woman or I'm too old for this or, you know, to be successful, you have to be successful. Like until your thirties, then you're doomed for life. So yeah. Just like in general, like I think he helped me a lot, and I, that's a book I really recommend for everybody. Yeah, I'll have to say it's kind of tough, you know, uh, for me to say, but I think maybe this book is in my list of top five, and I feel that for sure any teacher should definitely yes. uh, uh, read this book. And for people who don't know much about it, or for maybe for some of the hardcore listeners who has li have listened to 73 episodes so far. So at the end of the interview, and we're getting close to the end of the interview too. So what I do after the interview, I create a content from five to 12 minutes based on my takeaway from the interview. So it's always an audio to inspire, impact, and improve your life in some way. And hopefully I can do that. And the last week, number 72, I talked about mindset, about the book. And that was mm -hmm. the third time in 73 episodes that I talk about it because that's a very common uh, topic that I bring because that's one of the core values of the BJ Mental Coach podcast, which is the idea of the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. And the yes. fixed mindset, that's exactly what you said. When you start to put negative self-labels saying that I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. And uh, when you believe that, oh, yeah, no, it, when believing more in talent than actually the the work ethic and, and the hard work. Yes. Another thing at the book that's like a, you said, and it's like a very interesting as well, is like the way, because you said for teachers, I think it's like essential. Every teacher should read exactly. because it's changed the way I teach the kids as well. You know, Absolutely. the way we treat the kids or the people after their, you know, their loss, because we're like, sometimes we want to help and the way we want to help is like, it's okay. And I, I uh, went to like a very interesting experience. Um, one of the matches, like one of our students here, he did a match and he's a brown belt now. And at the time he was like a competing, he was a purple belt competing against a brown belt. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but I told him, I said, like, uh, you're going to, like, uh, you cannot lose positions. So make, make sure you, like, you know, you tight, like, don't try to not lose positions. The end of the match, I said, like, uh, how could you, like, lose that back? You had the back. So he lost. Uh, if it was Jiu-Jitsu, maybe, because it was, like, a, a submission-only match. And the guy had a, a submission attempt that was really, like, a kind of, you know, the, the submission, the thing of the match that made yeah. the guy win. But after the match, it was funny how everybody would come to him and say, like, it's okay. I, you, I know, like, they should give to you because he took the guys back, mm-hmm. right? He could not finish. He didn't have anything, any choke, anything like a type. The rules of the tournament is like a submission only. So, you know, it will make sense. The person who had the most, like, let's say, um, the, the better attempt to a submission. Right, but it wasn't him because he didn't have any submission attempt. He did have the back. IBJJF rules, he probably mm-hmm. would end up winning. That's the different rules. Everybody was coming to him, like, it's okay, man. Like, why did you give to the guy? You won that match. And I said, Vinny, let me tell you something. You know, you didn't win that match because, like, that's the rules of the tournament. Exactly. And, you know, you failed on. You know, you should not lose that position. You had the position, the position you should go there. And from there, you like go, you know, to your submissions. I know you could do, but, you know, like the rules, by the rules of this tournament, you know, the, the victory is for the other guy. And he, he understood. I actually gave the book to him for him to, for to read as well. And he was like, no, you're right. You know, it's kind of because sometimes we want that um, – just a comfort, comfort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, no, it's okay. Like, you know, like you, you <laughs> didn't lose. Like the guy, like the referee, he stole. Man, that was like the referee's yeah. fault. We try to take the blame, like you know, out mm-hmm. of ourselves and put on someone else because it's much easier to blame someone else than look inside and see, like, okay, what is wrong with this? Like, you know, I need to find, like, you know, why. Like I did this mistake. Is that my mind? Or like, you know, I need more training. But it's much easier to blame someone else. Like, uh, you know, oh, I lost this tournament. Oh, I'm going to change gyms because, you know, this gym that I, and I'm not saying sometimes, like, you know, that's the case. But uh, I'm just saying, like, it's much easier to put the blame on someone else than look inside. And I think for everything in life, if you want to, like, live um, um, you know, like a correct life, you, like the, the decisions sometimes they are not easy and you have to look inside instead of like saying like, Oh, it's your fault. You know, like it's your fault that this is not working, but you, you're not like, um, trying to change yourself. You know, you're just like a trying to find something else to put the blame, but you're not looking inside and saying like, maybe, you know, maybe I am the person who is like yeah. doing everything wrong, you know, like uh, just like uh, trying to find someone else, but you're not looking inside and finding the, you know, the real problem. So, yeah, yeah I'm suspicious to talk about the book, too, because it like, helps me <laughs> immensely. One thing that helped me, too, from that book that I, that I use that is part of teaching, and that's a suggestion for everyone who's listening. I guarantee that there's sometimes a, we can't help it to say like, oh, I'm not good at this something you know mm-hmm. or here like oh i'm not good at guard passing and that book uh, yes the suggestion saying like you're not good yet. yet if you put enough work to it it will improve it doesn't mean that you know like i don't know how to you know i suck at basketball like well yet. yeah i'm not saying that you you're going to go to the nba exactly. but you learn how to improve yes. you know i'm not saying that you're going to be the black next black belt adult world champion but you absolutely can improve your skills with work ethic and yes. hard work that's hard work pretty much what it comes down to so 
yeah, it's such a crucial book. Yes. Getting close to the end of the interview, as I mentioned, and then I'm going to be thinking about what I'm going to talk about. As always, that's what gives me work. The editing, that's easy. The you, you know, you give me the content, you know, I just need to edit. So that doesn't, it is not much work for me. Work is creating content to actually be able to help people. So what are you currently excited about? What is going on? So like a couple of things, like we have like our conference for all the members of Brazil 21 this, this month. And like, it's a special one because it's 10 years of our organization. We're still like a small organization, but I feel like we uh, now we're working with the people that we know. And this is important for me. I don't want to like grow so big that I don't know the person I'm working with. It's not about like a quantity, it's about quality for us. And the growth will come eventually like with the quality. But also like another project I'm very excited um, this weekend, uh, this Friday is, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, probably know, but this month is the Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we're and, in October, by the way, 2019, because sometimes someone might be listening to this in 10 oh, years from now. Right. You never <laughs> that's know, right. You know, so they know that October is the month. Yes, October 2019. Uh, and I got invited to do like a, this, uh, just like a speech uh, for some women. And it's a special event with the Chicago Police Department here in Chicago, uh, where it's almost like a private. So they will have in a school and as the moms, like the people will drop, drop off their kids at school, they will stay for this. Uh, it's going to be like a speech. Uh, other people will be talking as well, but also we'll have like a, some basic self-defense uh, techniques. And for me, it's like a very special uh, subject because uh, in the beginning, very beginning of my career, my journey in Jiu-Jitsu, I was like 19 years old, uh, 18, 19. And I, I was like a victim of like a domestic violence, even though like I was so young, but, uh, and Jiu-Jitsu helped me immensely to get back on my feet, to be the person I am today. I never got caught into the negativity of like, oh, I went to this, I suffer so much. No, this is gone. And the lesson I, I had is like, we're stronger than we think. And even though sometimes we're in a situation we think uh, we're not going to be able, like, because we want to change the person, we want to help and that's like our our uh, nature we nurture people like women we uh, you know we care we like um, have this mom the mother um feeling right uh so but i would say if you have anything if you, like you have people around you that you can trust there's always people you can trust around but i would say uh is something that helped me a lot uh in life in general and especially to get back on my feet and to know that i'm capable of like being you know myself again so that's like a very special event for me this month cool and i wanted to just talk just real quick about because uh andrea talked about it when he was here about the social project just to bring more awareness that you guys been doing this for for a long time just uh yeah, just share with us just a little bit about the social project. Yes, we have been doing the project since 2010. That's when we started, like, the first time we started working, organizing something, because we always kind of, like, help some individual uh, individuals mm -hmm. in Brazil. Um, but there was, like, a special, a special uh, thing, because we had students from, like, this part of Rio de Janeiro. It's, like, a, a slum, a favela in, in Rio. Uh, that's how, that's why we started. We had some students there, and they saw like the the need to have something like this uh, because of these aspects of jujitsu we already discussed it here. 
So we thought it was like a, would be great for more people to have access to jiu-jitsu. And we decided to start something there at the Borel in 2010. And we have been working and had some people donating mats. We ourselves here, we always like every month we take some some uh, grants just to help the project there. Pretty much, is like it's hard to like keep a project without the support. We don't have the support from the government in Brazil, but at the same time, we're happy that with the little help that we have, we still can keep this, the project alive and change other people's life in like in many ways. Like we had some kids that came here in 2015 to compete. We took them to Disneyland, you know, like just being able to go to another country, have this experience, how many people like, um, yep. you know, right. So it's something, uh, it's not like we don't have anything, uh, any, um, reward like a, the same physical reward but mm -hmm. we the rewards we have is like a beyond the fulfillment that you exactly have it's okay. like it just like um you cannot like even explain putting words with the, the feeling of like a going there seeing a, a kid you know just happy to train and and it's funny how like i change other people's lives too like i remember the first time we had someone visiting the first time uh we had a camp every year we took people from here to train in brazil do some tourist activities and the first time we had uh the camp was like at the beginning of the project right 2011 and when we had some, some people here coming there, like some of our students here, they'd never seen something like this before. So we, they went there in the slum and they were looking at this place and they see like these kids training like an improvised match. Like there was like a, some mattress, some piece of like a puzzle match, like a, some of the old uh, tatami. Uh, and this guy's like, he started crying and he was very like a very um, like straight, like, you know, like, like face, like no crying, nothing, no show emotion, no emotions. But he started crying. And then he's like, I could never imagine people would be so happy, you know, like a training like this, living like this. And that changed his life forever because when he came back, like he and like a couple other people, they decided like to donate some money to buy the mats we have there right now. And they actually like, after that, they started appreciating what they had here. Because like you said in the beginning of this interview as well, people take for granted what they have here. You know, yeah. when the, when he came back to U.S., he was like, his experience, you know, was so intense that changed his life forever. He's like, you know, if these people can be happy training like this or living like this, I have no reasons to be unhappy. So that, you know, those kind of things, like there's no price. You can put a price on this. Yeah. And I just want to uh, mention one thing too for the listeners. I know that some people might be listening for the first time, don't know much about the podcast or even about what I do. So I always put in the beginning of the interview to a little 30 second commercial of the Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, which is a nonprofit organization that I started about 10 years ago. We rebranded uh, this year, changed the name, but basically what we do right now, it's like extreme makeovers. We go to a social project, fix them up, give them a salary to the person. Of course, we really research to see who are the candidates that are going to do this because I mean, I, we can do all this, put in someone's hand that in six yeah. months is just going to put everything down. So uh, this is something that we've been doing. As a matter of fact, again, we're in October of 2019. Next month, I'm going back to Brazil. Every six months, I go there to visit some of the projects. 
I'm going to be visiting one in, uh, in the south of Brazil, Projeto Gaditas. They do an incredible job, one of the best social projects in Brazil. He adopted 18 kids beside his own two that live nice. with him. And we're able to raise close to $10,000, which is kind of a lot of money in Brazil. Yeah. And he has a monthly salary to the help to pay the water bill and electricity because they're struggling. They're behind for like eight months and they keep getting shut oh. down and with all those kids. So uh, first is thanking everyone that has don ever donated to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe that listen to podcasts. So this is, um, so I'm going to be going there actually visiting for the first time. I'm going to go there physically there and I've, and I've never been there. And then also I go to Salvador and Bahia, which is, uh, I was there in March and this guy, Dali, he's been running his program on the street for the past five years. It's just a little mm -hmm. space of the bus usually wow. come in. They just put the mats there. He used to teach in a garage uh, for three years. And the, the lady that let use the garage, you know, she, she moved out. So the house, so they didn't have where to go. He just put, you know, um, some, some mats in the street and that's where they've been wow. uh, for the past five years. So uh, exactly what he said about the fulfillment. I, I taught a class from basically from 5.30 PM to 10.30. They stay up to that long, that late. And that was the most fulfilling class that I've ever taught in my life. You know, yeah, like I can imagine a bus just like three feet from the mat. It's it. There's a risk of you getting a swept with a huge sweep and get hit by. A bus. <laughs> oh my goodness! You know what I mean? It's like uh, so. We have the videos on the website too. So if you want to know more I'm about jujitsutribe.org, and that's the current uh, project that we're supporting right now. Our goal it's actually to buy a house to have the program there. So that's our our mission right now. Phase one. It's $18,000 and we're at a little bit over 6,000 right now. So again, October, 2019. And our goal is to provide this. And as soon as we're done, our next project in line is actually in Belize. So now there's the only project there. So we're trying to go to different countries too, mm -hmm. but one at a time. We used to do like just by mass, pay, uh, pay for registration fees and stuff like that. But we've, we found more value into find because that's the challenge for them to survive. They're serving. These people, are the, they're focused on their life and serving. And yes. how are they going to survive? Exactly. How are they going to pay their bills? So that is the challenge. So we're able to provide them so they can keep serving uh, people. So these are incredible souls that actually take is this guy from uh, Rio Grande do Sul in the south of Brazil that's what his and uh his him and his wife they do that's it you wow. know and so they they didn't work their job is basically just provide to them that's nice do, do you think like uh, that's something i think always think and uh, that's one one of the reasons why we created brazil 21 as well not only to help kids in brazil or other parts of the world we say in brazil because we are from there and yeah. that's how we started right but uh, like now that I'm living in the United States and I live in Chicago, which is one of the most violent cities like um, in United States in general, like um, so. And I see when you go like a different areas here, you see like a lot of the kids is different kind of need because like um, <laughs> I have a funny story, funny story about when we came to US the first time. So Andre is like a very like a you know like a black and proud like I'm African American like you know like he's like proud. 
and we like one of our friends he was, he was driving us around like at the neighborhoods in Chicago and we end up like going to the south side which is like a you know, African-American community here and just like looking at the people and we're looking at the houses and like, oh my God, it was like a first time in the United States, like in Chicago. Oh my God, look at, we can live here. And we're like, oh man, look at this house. We're going to live here. And look at this guy is like, no, it's like, you can't live here. It's like, man, look at this house. It's like, of course you can live here. Look, this is beautiful, right, Andrea? And Andrea's like, yeah, I can definitely hear. How much is like the rent here? It's like, it's expensive to live here. And the guy's like, no, it's not so much. Like, See, we can live here. That's good. That's awesome. And then he's like, no, you can't, you guys can't live. You don't understand. This is like, you know, like not a good area to live because of this. Like, And we start like just like looking uh, the area and like look at people's uh, behavior, you know, people's attitude. And we understood why it's like, it's like a, the ghetto, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it's the slum here, different, right? Because for us, if we look at something like this, looking for our slums in Rio, we're going to say like, oh man, you know, this is not the slum at all. Yep. Right. But when you come here and you see like those kind of like, it's different. So the need that those kids have here is to have something that can, they can relate different than the senior gang member or like, a, you know, like this guy who is selling drugs on the street, like doing rap or, you know, the reality is different, but just a way to bring the same kind of like a project we do in the slum in Rio to here, you know, just helping these people, these kids that they don't have like a, examples around them they only have like a you know the people that not they don't want you like a change right so just like a being able to give like a some a different reality for these kids yeah we there's not too many social projects in u.s but the few that are out there we've been able to work with there's guardian gym in oakland they do an incredible job of being supporting them for the past few years incredible place and there's one that i'm lucky that is in tucson arizona about an hour and a half from me here they do a lot of different activities but the the head director he since he trained jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu became one of the the main ones so we've been working with them for a long time doing a partnership with other companies nice. and then we give entry fees for them to compete in the tournaments here keep the kids motivated so it's really cool but we don't have enough i hope you know one day there are more social projects regarding jujitsu here in the U.S. so we can get more connected. But right now, we just, whoever we can help, little by little. Yeah, you know little I mean? by little, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's been a great interview, and I should thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Time. I love this. Thank really you. I appreciate it. And if anyone wants to reach out to you where they can find you? Uh, so my Instagram, Hanetstack. Uh, my first name and my last name. Uh, I still have Twitter, although I don't use, use as much. It's the mm-hmm. same thing, Hanet Stack. Uh, Facebook is like, eh, who uses Facebook nowadays? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but pretty much on Instagram, I'm there. Uh, also, like, if you want to go to our, like, you know, uh, I'm here in Chicago, uh, Brazil 21 Chicago headquarters. Uh, that's where my, uh, my hometown, where I teach as well. I have a couple classes, uh, women's class, regular classes. So you guys are always invited to come and visit. I have like a lot of visitors coming all the time and I'm always rolling. So if you want to come train, that would be awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's? Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with the IBJJF Hall of Fame competitor, Hanati Stack. 
If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Anachi is the co-founder of Brazil 021 School of Jiu-Jitsu along with her instructor, Under Terencio, and she is a three-time ADCC world champion. She talked about how Jiu-Jitsu teaches you how to become more resilient in life. We talked about the growth and the fixed mindset. And my takeaway from the interview came when I asked her how was her mindset when she came to pursue her dream in the United States. And her answer inspired me to title this episode, Hungry for Success. As one of my favorite motivational speakers, Les Brown says, quote, you gotta be hungry. It's necessary that you align yourself with people and attract people into your business that are hungry. People that are unstoppable and unreasonable. It's necessary to get the losers out of your life if you want to live your dreams, unquote. He's one of my top virtual mentors, per se. Here's a quick bio of him that I found online. Quote, Les Brown was born in an abandoned building with his twin brother, Wesley, in a low-income section of Miami known as Liberty City. His mother gave them both up after birth and was adopted by a 38-year-old woman who was a cafeteria attendant. At five years old, he was labeled educable mentally retarded, EMR, held back a grade and referred to as the dumb twin by his teachers. After a difficult 16 years, Les Brown's life changed when a high school teacher told him something that would alter the course of his life forever. He told the teacher, sorry, I can't do that. I'm educable mentally retarded. The teacher got up from his desk and said, someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. While this moment changed his life, he struggled both financially and professionally for years. But with an unending desire to succeed, Les Brown finally broke through when he was given a chance to go on air as a local DJ. Once the world heard his voice and his message, his growth was exponential. Les went on to host his own TV show, serve in the Ohio House of Representatives, published several books, and became an internationally recognized speaker, unquote. There's an incredible video on YouTube of Les Brown speaking to 80,000 people at the Georgia Dome in the late 80s titled, It's Not Over Until You Win. Your dream is possible. It's about 40 minutes long. However, you won't regret investing your time watching this video. I'm going to include the link to the video in this episode's post. Today, I'm going to attempt something new for these final thoughts. I'm going to include a six-minute audio clip from his speech because no one says better than Les Brown how to be hungry in life. I mentioned during the interview that I heard once we should hire employees with PhD. You might be thinking, what? That doesn't make any sense. PhD stands for poor, hungry, and driven. Pouring knowledge, hungry, and driven to learn and succeed. With this attitude, you can achieve the success you desire. During the clip I'm going to share with you, Les Brown shares how his hunger for success led him to become a disc jockey. Check it out. It's possible for you to live your dream. It's necessary that you associate with winners, that you work your system, that you are relentless, that you never give up. It's you. You've got to take personal responsibility. You've got to make it your personal business to make it happen. And you've got to resolve within yourself that I can do this, that it's hard. But you've got to say, I'm the one. I'm the one to make this happen. I'm the one to become successful in this business. As you work to help other people to become successful, that feeds your success. But you know it's going to be hard, but find out what will make it worth it for you. 
I told Mr. Washington I wanted to become a disc jockey. Someone asked me to tell this story. And he said, Les Brown, he said, if you want to do anything worthwhile in life, you've got to be hungry. And so I started working to develop myself. He said, I want you to practice every day being a disc jockey. I said, but I don't have any job now. He said, it doesn't matter. He said that it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. So every day I was working to develop myself. And that's what you must do. And as I was working to develop myself, I applied for a job as a disc jockey, WMB on Miami Beach. I went to a guy named Milton Butterball. I said, how you doing, Mr. Butterball? I'd like to get a job as a disc jockey. He looked at me, he said, do you have any broadcast background? I said, no, sir, I don't. Do you have any journalism background? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, we don't have any jobs available. I said, yes, sir. I went back to Mr. Washington and I told him, he said, don't take it personally. He said, most people are so negative, they will have to say no seven times before they say yes. He said, go back again. So I went back again. I said, how you doing, Mr. Butterball? My name is Les Brown. He said, I know what your name is. What do you want? I said, I'd like to know whether or not you have any jobs at this jockey, sir. He said, didn't I just tell you yesterday we didn't have any jobs? I said, yes, sir, but I know whether or not somebody got laid off or somebody was fired, sir. He said, no one was laid off or fired. Now get on out of here. I came back the next day. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you? He said, fine. What do you want now? I said, I'd like to know whether or not you got any jobs, sir. Didn't I tell you the last two days we didn't have any jobs? I said, yes, sir, but I don't know whether or not somebody got sick or somebody died, sir. He said, no one got sick or died. Now, don't come back here and threw me out again. I came back the next day like I was seeing you for the first time. I said, hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you? He looked at me with rage. He said, go get me some coffee. I said, yes, sir. And I went to get him some coffee. After a while, I would give their lunch and dinner, and I would go in the control rooms and take the disc jockeys their food, and I would not leave until they would ask me to leave. Then they'd started trusting me to pick up entertainers that came to town. Entertainers like the Four Tops and the Temptations and Donna Ross and the Supremes. I would drive them all over Miami Beach in the disc jockeys' big, long Cadillacs. I didn't have any driver's license, but I was driving like I had some. And one day, one Saturday afternoon, while I was at the radio station, a guy named Rock was drinking while he was on the air. I was the only one there looking at him through the control room windows, walking back and forth, young, ready, and hungry. I was saying, drink, Rock, drink. Drink, Rock. I'd have gone to get him some more if he'd asked me to. Pretty soon the phone rang and it was the general manager. And I answered the phone. I said, hello? He said, Les, this is Mr. Klein. I said, I know. He said, Rock can't finish his program. I said, I know. He said, would you call one of the other DJs in? I said, yes, sir. I hung the phone up. I said, now he must be think I'm crazy. I called my mom and my girlfriend, Cassandra. I said, y'all turn up the radio and come out on the front porch. I'm about to come on the air. I waited for about 20 minutes, and I called him back. I said, Mr. Klein, I can't find nobody. 
He said, young boy, do you know how to work the controls? I said, yes, sir. He said, go in there and don't say nothing here. I said, yes, sir. I couldn't wait to get behind those controls. I put on an old Stevie Wonder record called Fingertips. I sat down behind that turntable. I said, look out, this is me, LB, Triple P. Les Brown, your platter playing papa. There were none before me and there will be none after me. Therefore, that makes me the one and only. Young and single and love to mingle, certified, bona fide, indubitably qualified to bring you satisfaction, a whole lot of action. Look out, baby, I'm your love man. I was hungry. I was hungry. You gotta be hungry. You gotta be hungry. So ladies and gentlemen, if you wanna make your dream become reality, the people that are running at their dreams know that it's possible that you can live your dream. That it's necessary that you're relentless, that you have a plan of action, that you are creative. The people that are living their dream are finding winners to attach themselves to. The people that are living their dreams are the people that know that it's, if it's going to happen, it's up to them. And they're resolving within themselves, it's not over until I win. The people that are running after their dream know they're going to have hard times. They keep on running because they're saying within themselves, I'm the one, I'm the one, no matter how bad it is or how bad it gets, I'm going to make it. The people that are running after their dreams are the people that are hungry. Shake somebody's hand on your right and left and say, you got to be hungry. I hope the audio inspired, impact or improved your life in some way. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that it's possible to achieve your dreams? Are you hungry enough to overcome all the obstacles that will come along the way during your entrepreneurial journey? Are you ready to get the losers out of your life to live your dreams, as Les Brown said? If the answer is no, keep working on yourself to find out what is holding you back from achieving the success you desire. Now, if the answer is yes and you are hungry for success, you're ready to take your life to another level. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com. 